Hello and welcome to a new episode of All Swell. For this episode, we have traveled to Golden, Colorado to attend a very unique conference, the American Geophysical Union's Chapman Conference on Solving Water Availability Challenges through an Interdisciplinary Framework. This really is a mouthful, but there are a few keywords in this title that I'd like to point out to you. The first is an interdisciplinary framework. I've called this conference unique since meaning like this one are not standard yet. Historically, scientists have met mostly within their disciplines in conferences geared towards, for example, geological sciences. However, in recent years, by recognizing that our problems are indeed wicked and can simply be solved by looking at them through a disciplinary lens, different conference formats have sprung up to include more people than just the expert from a specific field. One of these tricky problems humanity is faced with is another word that is part of the conference title. It's water availability. <laughs> Sorry for the baby noises. Um, I am a new mother of a month old child and uh, she's also part of this episode. Since she's also a new human, water availability will also be a problem for her life or in her life and it's not only an issue for humans in dry regions. If we're including water quality, it is also an issue in regions that have an ample supply of water. However, when water becomes contaminated and therefore not fit for human and or natural consumption anymore, water availability issues can occur in wet regions too. Coastal areas are especially interesting with regards to water availability because although they are boarding with the ocean, this water cannot easily be used for many purposes as its salt content would prevent plants and people alike from thriving of it. This Chapman conference really advanced the integration paradigm, not only allowing for participants from all backgrounds who are working on water availability issues, but also dedicating half, half of the conference um, the whole time to several interdisciplinary case studies. So these case studies were based on five different river basins, three of them in the US. We talked about the Delaware, the Illinois and the Colorado rivers and uh, Saskatchewan in Canada and the Moray River in South Australia. After a brief introduction into what these basins um, entail, the participants were able to choose a river basins to work on and so formed five groups that consisted of people with very different scientific backgrounds as well as practitioners. So in these groups, the participants then developed conceptual maps. A conceptual maps map is a map of how the system works, of how like the natural and human levels are interacting and uh, which factors are influencing which outcomes and how. So they had to develop these maps of one or several issues that the basin was confronted with. So topics were, for example, harmful algae blooms or water distribution questions, and then had to reflect back to the other groups once the time was over. The conference organizers had allotted one full day to the conceptualization of the maps and half a day to then come up with tangible products as a result of the conference, such as a research paper. So like these groups had to also then write um, a paper on their experience of like 
how this um, interdisciplinary work or within this conference would, would work out. I was a conference assistant and therefore charged with taking notes, as well as moderating some of these case study exercises. And I had the pleasure of working alongside some very bright early career researchers, of whom I've asked a few to talk about the research and their impression of the conference, as well as interdisciplinary work in water research. They will provide you with an insight of their field, how they got there, tips for those of you who want who are interested in working in these fields, as well as their insight into novel conference formats and interdisciplinary work. Before we jump into the interview, I want to draw your attention to an earlier All Swell episode where we talked about interdisciplinary research, which was episode one, like our very first episode, or um, another one where we have an, attended a conference where Gigi took us to the National Conference on PFAS. That was episode 10. Today I'm joined by several graduate students working in the field of water research. Hi everyone, would you mind introducing yourself, say where you're working at and what your research currently is? Maybe we start with you, Bridget. Hi, uh, my name is Bridget Bittman. I am a master's student at Boise State University and my research is looking at how irrigation water demand is changing with urbanization and climate in the Boise River Basin. That's awesome. That sounds great. Also, maybe for our listeners, just what um, kind of a, as an icebreaker, what would be your favorite water related feature and why? My favorite water related feature would have to be in general lakes uh, because I grew up by the Great Lakes and I uh, so maybe the Great Lakes specifically I just think they're really magnificent <laughs> that's cool thank you um, how about you Edgar hey everyone so, uh, my name is Edgar Guerrero-Marijuela I'm a PhD candidate at the University of South Florida um, <clears throat> my research uh, mainly focuses on understanding the interactions between hydrologic processes, human activities, and water-dependent ecosystems. I work closely with resource managers, landowners, uh, and other stakeholders to co-produce tools that can facilitate meaningful conversations and decision-making. That sounds super cool. And what about the water-related feature for you? Um, since uh, lately I've been doing a lot of uh, groundwater work, I would have to say that I love um, groundwater springs. That's a cool one, too. Um, how about you, Nathan? Hi, everybody. My name is Nathan Bonham. I'm a PhD student at the University of Colorado Boulder. My research is mostly applied to the Colorado River Basin. I work on um, long-term decision support uh, for applications where you're faced with deep uncertainty, which means you really don't have a great sense for what the future is going to hold in terms of hydrology, demand, or another like other major driving factors of the system. I work closely with the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation on identifying lake mead operation policies for how that reservoir will be operated under shortage conditions and how uh, lower basin users like Arizona, Nevada, California, 
will face shortages under low reservoir conditions. Um, so my favorite water feature, um, you know, my wife and I live in Colorado. We enjoy all the alpine hikes. So I'll say alpine lakes and um, permanent glaciers are really fun. Cool. Thank you. I would have said you probably would say a dam or something like that. But <laughs> that was too easy. <laughs> I was going to. I decided it was the wrong answer. That's great. <laughs> Always open for surprises. Uh, yeah, since we were all at this uh, Chapman conference for water availability, um, I was interested in like, uh, how did you or knowing about how did you get into water research? And uh, since it was called um, an interdisciplinary framework conference, so we had people from all over the different disciplines, how your background influences the way you're thinking about water availability. So kind of how your specific context influences that. And you can just... <laughs> Whoever wants to go first. I can jump in. Um, so I, I got into academic research as an undergrad um, at West Virginia University. I have a civil engineering background and I was finding I was bored far more often than I was excited about what we were working on in classes. And then I, I took a, like a consulting oriented internship and it was like a dream company. I loved the people I worked with, but I hated what we were working on. It was so boring and it was so like everything was constrained by uh, guidance documents and existing protocol and financial, uh, financial constraints. And I was like, this is, these are not problems I am interested in. Um, yeah, then I was introduced to kind of hydrologic research in the area of like epidemiology and extreme flooding events. Um, and then I ended up working in grad school more so on the other side of extreme events, mostly drought related. Um, so far more interesting problems with less kind of like practical constraints on how you go about solving them, um, makes for a far more interesting um, you know, exercising of my brain. Um, and what was the second part? The, the question was about like the interdisciplinary. It was about, yes, your, your background, like how that influences how you think about water availability. Yeah. Okay. So maybe unlike Edgar, I, and many others at the conference, this might be true for you too, Kira. I can't speak for Bridget. Like I, I'm not a sociologist, nor does any of like my, my work is very modeling focused, simulation modeling focused. Um, I work with big data, like gigabytes upon gigabytes of data. And I almost always come at a problem from the perspective of statistics and simulation models. Um, but that's not to say like we, we work in very close collaboration with the end users uh, of what we do. But um, I'm not in tune with the social sciences, to say the least. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's kind of one perspective, right? You're more from like the more engineering kind of 
how do we solve this problem from like a natural perspective? So I guess um, either Bridget or Edgar, do you want to um, continue this thought about like from which side or which angle you're, you're looking at the problem? Uh, yeah, so I uh, got into the field of water research uh, my junior year of my undergrad. I originally, or my undergrad degree is in environmental science, and I have a minor in biology. So I was originally working on biology research, and then I took a hydrogeology class, and I just loved it way more than I loved any of my biology courses. Um, so I switched tracks, and I started researching some started doing some PFAS research and helping out a PhD student with 1,4-dioxane research. Um, and I, then I applied for grad school and I'm, I'm here. Um, and I feel like my background definitely influences the way that I think about problems. I'm definitely a traditionally trained scientist, but uh, simultaneously I really enjoy working with people. And so I, originally wanted to be a doctor before I even got into ecology. And so the concept of being able to help people with water-related issues is definitely a driving focus of my research. So I'm always trying to work more on actionable research um, that is going to have a direct influence on how people are managing a system or perhaps even just community members, what they're interested in. Um, so while I'm not, I don't have like a sociology background, um, I feel like my interest in being able to help people has really influenced the types of problems that I gravitate towards. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so like, I guess we're always, we're never like fully on one side or the other. Right. But like still the way we're trained is a part of how we think. And so, yeah. Uh, how, how is that for, for you, Edgar? Um, so it's it's actually kind of interesting for me just listening to to Nathan and Bridget. Um, so my background, and I'll start there. So my background is in biology and ecology. So I I got my my bachelor's degree, and that's where I started. At the same time, being interested in in water environments, I actually started doing research in marine environments. I, I worked in the Galapagos Islands uh, on a couple different projects as an undergrad, and that got me really interested in, in you know, population dynamics, community dynamics of uh, different organisms. Um, and then I had the opportunity to work in, in the Ecuadorian Amazon, which is where I'm from, uh, and doing something completely different in a different environment, but still water related as in freshwater macroinvertebrates had nothing to do with marine mammals which was what i was working with before but it was still this kind of ecological analysis of community and population composition and uh and different gradients and and so that's how um, i started looking at, at the world in terms of water um but then i i started thinking about water and the interaction between people and water and how that affects these different ecosystems. And that's, that's when I, I so I did my, my master's degree in, in GIS and geography and trying to look at um, how people are influencing different ecosystems. Um, 
And after that, I, I moved to the United States. I, I worked in Alaska for a couple of years doing some habitat restoration work, uh, again, related with salmon and water. Um, and then I moved to Florida where I worked for the state on a regulatory capacity. I was overseeing operations uh, of mining here in Florida. Um, for those of you that may not know, Florida is a big, big exporter of phosphate, or uh, which is a, an essential uh, component of different, uh, uh, or it's a nutrient that is used for um, fertilizer, right? Fertilizers, right? Um, and Florida actually is, I think, is the second state that uh, produces phosphate in the United States. So it's a it's a big industry here. So I, I was looking at it from a perspective of of a biologist, ecologist, uh, as to how the discharge um, of these different industries is affecting the biota and the community compositions in the streams. So that got me again, you know, um, interested in like uh, or further interested in the in this idea of mixing people, activity, uh, nature, and water. <clears throat> um, but as, as a PhD student, I wanted to delve into a little bit more and get a little bit of training in the social aspect. I'm not a social scientist. Uh, I'm a hydrologist, ecologist, biologist. Um, however, I did take a good amount of courses in social sciences because now I'm focusing in um, including um, this people aspect in any of the modeling efforts I do, um, because I've, I've learned, I guess, at least in my experience, um, people are the, are the ones that are making you know, laws, regulations. So it's important to understand their point of view and how they look at the world. So I'll leave it at that. That's, that's kind of my background and how I got involved. Yeah, thank you. That's great. Yeah, so you have all kind of like very different paths and and like that's that's what I was really fun about this this conference too, right? That we could see like how everyone ended up at this place being from so many different like areas and still we're going to yeah, we have to all come together to talk about um, these issues and especially kind of like trying to figure out how to make it work. <laughs> like, how can we look at this from all the different sides and still be talking to each other and not against each other and stuff like that. So um, what were probably your most important lessons from the conference or what did you learn uh, when you interacted with other people uh, from a different discipline, for example, or even like people from the industry. And um, yeah, I guess what was most fun? I'll jump in. I think, so for me, the, the, the most fun was to see that it didn't matter what what people's background was. Everybody was was very enthusiastic about trying to solve this water availability problem as was posed by the conference. But more so, I thought it was interesting that, um, that you know, like water, like the way we started the conference and we spent a whole day trying to define water availability, right? Water availability means so many different things to different people. 
nevertheless, everybody was excited about trying to solve that issue from their own perspective, which didn't mean that there were conflicting interests. It actually, in many cases, uh, you know, um, all the interests were kind of combined. And like by solving one, you could already start solving the next one, right? So that was for me super fun to see how uh, how it all is interconnected. Yeah, I guess it kind of piggybacking off of you, Edgar, I, I thought that it was really interesting to see all the different lenses and ideas of what water availability actually means. Um, I felt like coming into this conference, I was like very narrow minded on it, probably because my research has to deal with like water quantity issues. Um, and so I was like, oh, well, like, do people even have water to take from in the first place? You know, that's that is what tends to people tend to think about in the Western U.S. Um, so it was, I feel like a big takeaway for me is just like, um, when next, when I'm like approaching my next research question is to like, try to think about all of these different disciplines that are coming at these problems and, um, trying to just like broaden my mindset on like how to approach a problem and what, like what water availability means in this context, um, and like helping to better define that. Um, and I thought the most fun part of this conference was uh, when we broke into groups and we got to actually try to do an integrated water assessment, kind of like attack these problems. Um, I was in the Illinois River Basin and we were talking about nutrient dynamics in the area and how this affects people's drinking water. And um, within my group, I felt like there was a really good variety of people from different backgrounds. And um, even in that setting, when we had like five hours or whatever, you could see that there was definitely clashing of interests and like trying to come together on a common language and um, trying to find a common ground. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I guess that going off of that, um, we can maybe already uh, start with, with the next question, which I was, wanted to know about the challenges that you observed. And so kind of looking at especially the integrative uh, workshop piece of the conference where people really had to come together and work on one problem, um, like kind of as a group of all different people that has never like work together before and, and also has so many different backgrounds. So yeah, what were some of the challenges that you see with this kind of more interdisciplinary work or even maybe, maybe even from your own work um, then yeah, you see in, in interdisciplinary work versus what you maybe have experienced like in your past where you were more in a, in a disciplinary silo. Yeah, maybe I can start with that one. Um, I kind of had one interesting experience in the interdisciplinary workshops or the integrative workshops kind of at the end of the week. I was working um, in the Colorado River Basin group. Um, and even that was already kind of like one interesting step, although the vast majority of my expertise is the Colorado River Basin. That project was kind of trying to, at the beginning, focus in on one half of the of the basin the upper basin which i still certainly know about it was already kind of like framing the problem in a different way than how i normally frame the problem um so that was interesting and then 
one thing, you know, kind of thinking about these, these different experts and their different fields. I mean, we had people that were, they were hydrologists by training and by experience. And that's like really what I thought about was hydrology. There were others of us kind of like myself where I'm a water resources engineer. I mostly think about operations of the infrastructure in the basin. Um, and I'm usually thinking about like, I care about the hydrology. I use the hydrology, but at the end of the day, I need to know how much is coming down the stream and I'm going to trust you to figure out how exactly it's going to get there. Hydrologist. Like I understand it, but not the detail you do. And I don't really need to. And I don't always need to. And kind of what came out of that as challenges I found was one, sometimes I found myself using a set of technical terms that I'm incredibly familiar with in optimization, objective space, kind of like things like objectives and constraints. They have a technical meaning. I found other people that to them, those words didn't carry the same type of weight or technical meaning. And we had a conversation where, you know, by using those words, they thought like it was a cop out. Like I'm trying to describe something in the basin. I just simply don't understand or we cannot understand and far be it. That's like the exact opposite of how I'm using those words. They are very technical words that have a very specific meaning. So that was kind of interesting. Just the, and it takes time to figure that out that even someone else has a different understanding of what that word, how that word is being used. Um, I feel like there was another thing, but I don't remember now. So I'll see if somebody else brings Sorry, it to my memory. I didn't, I didn't want <laughs> to interrupt you, Nathan. But yeah, I mean, that's a really good thing in terms of, um, and even like with your guys' introduction, sometimes I was like, well, you know, what are invertebrates, you know? And like, what are, you know, PFAS? And I mean, although I do know that now, <laughs> since I have, spent a little bit of time in, in those spaces too but like it's yeah even even a term like that can be like incredibly difficult for somebody else that has never worked in that field and so um yeah that's definitely one of the one of the big challenges to have this kind of common vocabulary that you can rely on um is there any other challenges things that you observed um, that, yeah, either in the workshop or in your work where you think like, oh my God, like that was definitely a holdup. So I, I, to me, what, what became super apparent and very interesting is uh, a challenge of scales. And I remember we were talking, at least in my group, about this. Um, when you look at a problem depending, I think, and, and I, 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 at least that's the way I understood it, uh, the scale that you look at a problem a lot of the times depends on the training you have and your background, right? Um, so having the need to define certain things um, is important when you have an interdisciplinary conversation. Maybe, you know, like as Nathan was saying, maybe even, you know, certain technical terms uh, need to be defined and, and, and not only defined, but need to be agreed upon. You know, a definition within that group 
okay, we're going to use this term to mean this, um, but also scales, right? We, we're looking also at the Illinois Basin, um, but, you know, that, that basin was big enough that uh, uh, the river kind of was flowing through different communities. So where do you stop and look at the problem? Uh, so to me, that was very interesting. I, I guess I, I I hadn't thought about scale being a problem because uh, I don't know. I always I always look at a watershed scale, but I guess that also depends how you define a watershed or basin. So anyway, that's that was a challenge I saw. Uh, yeah, I think a problem or a challenge that um, came out of that workshop was also um, defining really defining the problem that we were trying to answer. And um, sometimes when you get a lot of people from different backgrounds, I've noticed that like everybody wants to tackle a different problem and you can't tackle all of these problems with one study. So trying to find common ground on even what the problem is that we're defining, um, I feel like is difficult when you have um, multiple different backgrounds. I guess for instance, like if you have an economist with hydrologists, like the types of problems that you're going to think about are very different. So like throwing those out there and then trying to find common space. That does remind me of the thing yeah. I forgot. Sorry. That's good. <laughs> um, but it, uh, I felt like for much of the conference and kind of the theme that was manifested during the integrative workshops at the end was kind of depth versus breadth, breadth type thing. Where it's like, okay, if we're, if we're thinking across these 20 different disciplines or, you know, very literally like in, in the Colorado River group, I think we had like maybe 15-ish people there. There were probably like eight or so different like main disciplines of study represented by the 15 or so different people. And like it oftentimes felt like infeasible or impossible to like simultaneously understand enough about what everyone was doing to then to Bridget's point to like, what actually are we trying to do here? And that, that I always felt like that that tension in what we were doing was like we're simultaneously looking at this from every angle possible, but then because of that, it was really hard to to kind of pinpoint down, nail to the ground what we were trying to work on. Um, and I think that's just going to be a characteristic challenge of any interdisciplinary cross cutting type study is like the breadth is huge. How in the world are we going to go deep? No, that's a really good point. Um, and I wanted to kind of touch about it or on a different or similar thing that you just said, Nathan. Um, yeah, it's like you almost need a, a really good lead there, right? So that like that can bring the group back together um, and, and actually, because you, you can get lost really easily because everyone is, yeah, again, trying to get their point across or get, trying to address their problem. And that's the most important thing because that's what you spend the last X years of your life on, right? So you probably really want that in there. And so kind of have, have somebody or Maybe maybe a, f a few people that still kind of have um, the the view on this one thing. Okay, we want to solve this, and we could potentially solve all of these or try at least, right? Um, 
tackle all of these millions of things because there's so many. Um, but we set out with this goal and we should get to results sometime. Um, so that was, or at least for me, like as a, yeah, a conference assistant trying to navigate uh, to like kind of harbor, harbor the people back and say like, okay, this is all really great. Thank you for your contributions. But also we have only like 30 minutes left and we should have some sort of output at the end of the day. And um, yeah, so that was, that was very interesting too. And um, I guess for me, I, I could see that like, or also in, in my work, I see that like just this kind of work just takes way more time. Like, because you have to first let everybody participate and say something. And then and then you have to kind of narrow down, okay, so where are even our, our overlaps? And then how can we make this into something that is feasible and is not like so big that, yeah, we can't even get to some sort of, of outcome because, yeah, that's really easy to get to, like, to really, yeah, get lost in all the p potential rabbit holes that you could go down. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, from, if you had some challenges and, and you had, like, maybe from your discipline, um, a way of overcoming them, um, was there something that, like, stood out to you where, your training was like really good at like getting some or overcoming some of these challenges. Maybe to Edgar's point, in my work, I usually think at a basin scale um, and that, that basin scale crosses international boundaries and state boundaries and tribal boundaries. And one thing like where I felt we had a lot of like, I would say scientists and hydrologists in our group and then climatologists in our group. And to kind of like to give everything we were doing larger context was where kind of a lot of my training as an engineer and a water resources engineer also in, in this particular basin also revolves around the international policies that dictate how the basin is ran. So that was helpful from the perspective of like, what is all of this at the end of the day feeding into from, from like a broader perspective at the basin wide multinational perspective? Um, it's, a, it's affecting these different nations um, and their water users. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And then, you know, there was people were able to then like from their different domains of expertise relate all of the different components of the conversation to the bigger picture. Yeah, I guess I can probably give another example from like my background and how that influences some of it. Like, I don't know. I mean, although I'm a social scientist, kind of by training as an economist, you're kind of in the middle somewhere. Um, sometimes you're this, sometimes you're that. Um, but I like the way we're thinking about things is a lot of times quite rational or we try to kind of at least bring it down to like okay but like what are the numbers and like and 
even though that's not always great, right? Like you always, sometimes you have questions where that doesn't really apply, but like sometimes I feel it's helpful <laughs> um, to like kind of bring people back um, together if you're like, okay, but let's focus on this thing now um, when like other people are getting like in the weeds of, of like details or things that you're like, just, I'm not sure if that's like every, every economist out there, but I feel like that's just a way of like, we're kind of trained to, to think more. Um, yeah. Analytically kind of, yeah, that, that, that just, helps in this particular with this particular problem however obviously there are other things that come from that that you then maybe miss out on or whatever like you that yeah fall through because you just you were like well this is not that's too detailed we don't want to even talk about this but it would probably be an important detail right so that's important that like there's other people that are like well okay yes However, it's still important, for example, what you just said, Nathan, like to include the tribal nations, to include all these different stakeholders and, and like really actually take time and look at all the potential uh, people and, and yeah, entities that are involved. So, um, yeah, I think that was, I don't know if anyone else has something to add. Um, yeah, I think that like I have something it doesn't really come from my background um, per se, but I think through working with uh, different stakeholders in my research um, to help break down language uh, issues, sometimes it's really helpful to, I mean, I guess this is like an any listening conversation scenario, but if you don't understand something, like try to repeat it back in, in a question way, being like, is this what you meant? Um, and I felt like that was helpful and helping break down um, some of those language barriers that we faced. But then, and then also, um, as a young scientist, um, sometimes it can feel like intimidating when you're grouped with a lot of older scientists, but just uh, reminding myself that it's okay to, to be young and not know everything and to not be afraid to ask questions in those scenarios when people are saying stuff that you just like have no clue where they're going with that or don't even know what they're saying. Um, because I think that that can, can help some, address some of the issues that we talked about earlier. Yeah, definitely. And that was like a huge thing for me too. That I was like, okay, I have to interrupt these people now that are like senior scientists and they really know what they're talking about. And I'm like nobody. And yeah, so I guess um, going from that, are there any tips for, for people that would want to, um, that you have that would want to go into a direction like you're in right now? Um, or what what helped you to get to the position that you're in right now? Uh, for people that, yeah, are still thinking or would be interested to work in a similar field, but don't really know how to get there. I had a, I'm actually going to comment on, on just what Bridget said previously, because I thought it was, it was super interesting. Um, I had the case where my, the group of people that I was working with were all 
early career scientists. Um, and, and the dynamics between that group and, say, a group with a more established or senior scientists uh, was very different. And I think that also uh, is important to note because uh, I guess the more senior scientists you are, um, obviously the more experience you have, but also um, maybe the less flexible you you are in terms of uh, trying new approaches, and I think that's something that uh, so I was talking at the end after uh, you know, after the, the the conference with a with a senior scientist, and that's one of the things that was you know I was told was like um, they were very excited to see a lot of early career and students there. Um, interested in this type of interdisciplinary work because the sooner you get involved in in this kind of conversations the easier it becomes to eventually down the road be able to uh, work uh, productively in this in an interdisciplinary realm um, so I guess going going to your your question uh, Kira now uh, I guess the suggestion I would make is uh, try to um, yeah try to reach out to different different fields of study, even if it's just a little bit, even if it's just you know maybe a class or a seminar or I don't know like in many universities there like there's there's this colloquia that different departments have. So if you're interested and you think you're interested in in working across disciplines, maybe attend a couple of, of those like presentations from visiting scholars. Um, and that can be the very first step you take. Kind of the first thing that comes to my mind for anybody interested in academic research period is like, it's a really challenging route. Thus, you need to like, you kind of have to have a passion for what you think the problem is. Um, otherwise, it's, is it really worth it? I and mean, like, the answer should be a resounding yes. But that requires that, you know, you really are invested in the problem that you're working on. And kind of tying this back into Edgar's point and some of my earlier comments on like, when you get into these, these, like, it's really interesting and I think oftentimes necessary to think about the problem from an interdisciplinary perspective, but that requires that you have experts in the different disciplines, right? Like, we can't get anywhere if everybody only knows a little bit about everything. Like, it requires some people, a lot of people, to really know what they're talking about in particular areas, and then those people be willing to talk. Um, so... And just kind of like encouraging then anyone who might listen to things I have to say, which I don't know why they would, but those people like, you know, find a topic that they're really interested in. And like sometimes, especially if you're in the water domain, it can be really easy to branch out to different sub-disciplines, especially because water has like a sense of space and time. Like if you're really interested in a particular scientific endeavor and you're working in the Colorado River Basin or the Illinois Basin or the Saskatchewan Basin, there's like 40 billion people working in the same basin but on a different scientific uh, different scientific question. 
So that's like a really easy way to kind of transverse the disciplines is like, well, what other people, what are other people doing in my own project domain? Um, yeah, I would say that if kind of where Nathan started, you know, if you're interested in academic research, um, just start reaching out to professors and try to get a better understanding of what their research is like. And um, even if you don't have background in that field, uh, that's okay. If you got an undergrad in something that's completely different than your graduate degree, it might be a little bit harder in the beginning, but you can do it. And so I think also um, some advice I would have that I'm also trying to convince myself of is to never really feel pigeonholed in your discipline because um, you always have the ability to change. And I think that um, incorporating more interdisciplinary work in, into research, especially into academic research, will give students the opportunity to learn more and have a bigger breadth of pathways that they can take um, after school. No, those are all great um, comments. And, and again, like also going off of what you said, just Bridget, um, I started out as, yeah, as an economist and I did not have any geology or hydrology background whatsoever. And I've just like now in my PhD really taken those classes and was like, oh, granite level hydrogeology is not really easy, but you can do it, right? Um, you can still learn. You can still like, I mean, I'm never going to be a full hydrogeologist. That's just never going to happen. However, um, I understand what they're saying and I can then integrate that into my work. And that's kind of what is important to me. And that was like, also what, what you said, Nathan, earlier in terms of like, yeah, you don't need to know all the details. You just kind of need to know what is useful for, for your purpose. And um, yeah, and again, also um, echoing of that, finding something that you're actually excited about and that you want to work on and whether or not, like that doesn't have to be very, very detailed, but it could also just be like, hey, I want to make people's lives in this place easier uh, regarding X, Y, Z, then that's already a motivation to do something. Um, so like you, you just, yeah, you kind of, you're, you stay curious about that. And then I guess uh, also all of our careers or paths have kind of, shown that like you you start out in one end and then you end up somewhere a little different because you found these opportunities or you just met different people and got interested in, in things that you at first didn't know you were even interested in um, but then you learned about them and you're like oh this I can actually study this this is pretty awesome um, so yeah so in general don't get too focused on just one thing um, be open to like look at different um, paths and different different yeah problems out there there's plenty of them we have we just yeah looked at just a yeah just a small variety of them but like you could probably formulate a bajillion problems in each of these for example river basins and so yeah there is, there is always more to explore um, in science, and that's kind of the interesting thing about it. 
Um, I guess, yeah, going off of that, if you had some sort of crystal ball or if you could see in the future, um, what, where do you see yourself kind of working at right now? Obviously, this is a snapshot in time. It can always change and um, it probably will. But if, if you would be able to, to find the perfect job right now, what would, what would that be? Um, I can I can start with this one. <laughs> um, so I guess after graduate school, I hope that I would be working for uh, some sort of state or federal department. I would really love to work with the USGS. Um, they do a lot of actionable research, and um, so that would be my primary goal. And I also would really like to shift my research back towards water quality issues. Um, and uh, seeing that I don't have that training from graduate school, I have been told that it's okay and that um, you can transition across these different paths. So so yeah, I think like shifting my hydrology focus a little bit more and then hopefully getting the chance to work in one of those state or federal departments where I can really be doing some research questions to help the community. Um, I, I can go. I can go next. And I, I, I just wanted to briefly mention something about you know our discussion earlier, which I thought was super interesting. Um, and just the fact that as a scientist, you can always kind of reinvent yourself. Like as a scientist, you can can always ask different questions and approach a same problem from a different perspective. And that's something that you know. Um, I really like about being a scientist and about uh, doing research. Um, so anyway, with that, um, I think like my dream job would be working um, maybe as a as a scientist, as a water scientist for an organization like the USAID, for instance, where I can bring. Um, I guess, science, technology, and know-how to communities in need, and especially in this case, overseas. But I would also, you know, uh, enjoy working for, uh, you know, similarly, I guess, to like USGS or, or a federal agency where you can apply all that knowledge um, internally in the U.S. because there are many communities uh, here in the U.S. that um, that uh, are in need of, of data, of science. And I think um, that's become for me apparent um, through my research. I I do all my research in, in Alaska and the, the lack of, of data availability uh, up there is um, is quite large and quite outstanding here. Uh, um, so anyway, uh, I think those those are the my dream jobs, I guess. Uh, aside from maybe uh, being a faculty member uh, at a university and continuing my research that way as well. Yeah, I I've invested so much of my yeah the last like four years of my life like strictly thinking about. Colorado River Basin and how these reservoirs should be operated, especially 
considering that how they're operated affects you know when people are shorted water and how much water they are shorted and how that relates to international water law. Um, so I, I think I'm on trajectory to continue working on, um, you know, and the, these policies that, that dictate how these reservoirs are operated are currently being renegotiated. Um, that renegotiation process will be four to five years long. Um, I think I'll be working on that, hopefully with the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. Um, so that's a solid medium-term plan. Um, but kind of like long-term, I, I am really interested in water from a trans-boundary policy perspective. Um, so large watersheds that cross international boundaries and how those nations work together. Um, so I'm hoping my career which the Colorado River Basin is a good step in that direction because we share that water with Mexico. Um, hoping to spend more time kind of from like a diplomacy and political space and the longevity of my career kind of working on those types of water problems. Yeah, those are all very, very exciting outlooks. I mean, <laughs> who knows, right? <laughs> Life's exciting, but um, I'm definitely yeah, gonna be following you guys and see where where you're, um, yeah, where you're gonna not end up, I mean, forever, but like, where are you gonna go next? So that's, yeah, that's always an exciting thing too about like, yeah, being in this, in this still kind of phase where um, you're still a student, but you're already thinking about what you can do next. And like, you have these paths and, and ideas and yeah. And it's like a really, really cool time to, um, yeah, position yourself too. And so thank you guys for your time and like talking to me and uh, us, all of, all of us here. Um, and yeah, um, I'm going to be putting your information in the show notes so that people that want to reach out to give you those amazing jobs or to uh, just like ask questions, I guess, uh, about your work and so on and so forth, um, that they know where to find you. And uh, yeah, I'll be definitely stay in touch and maybe we can do one of these in like five years from now <laughs> and you're, you're gonna give us an update of where you went after this and that concludes episode 15 of all swell a student-led podcast supported by the coastal society and the american shoreline podcast network thank you so much for tuning in and kailani and i want you to remember where there's a will there's a wave she can't yet say that with me, but we're practicing, so stay tuned.